thank you for your generosity and thank our Lord for his gracious provision. Before we look into God's word, two things. First of all, if you're visiting with us today, you happen to choose a weekend to visit ACAC when we are over our five services conducting our annual congregational meetings. Normally, you wouldn't have a lengthy report from our treasurer or voting for church officers at the end. This only happens once a year, but the thought occurred to me, you've got to find out more about us in one visit than you would find out visiting most churches just one time. So again, this is a departure from our normal weekend. And then I know many of you have been praying and probably giving toward the relief efforts in Puerto Rico. I want you to know that we have 26 Alliance churches in Puerto Rico, and if you want to assist the great needs that exist on that island, I want to encourage you to consider giving to Comma Services. That's all capital letters, C-A-M-A. That's the relief arm of the Christian and Missionary Alliance, and it operates with an incredibly low administrative overhead. The great bulk of every gift gets right to the point of need. Some organizations take as much as 50% of your gift for administrative overhead. Ours is single digit. But uh, if you want to help there, if you give to Comma Services and just designate Puerto Rico, that money will be distributed through our 26 churches, those pastors, the people in those churches who know their neighborhoods, who know what's going on in their neighborhoods, rather than being distributed through people who are coming in from the outside and really know nothing and therefore are more vulnerable for people to take advantage of them. And sadly, that happens in moments like this. So if you want to do that, you can either just designate a gift for comma, C-A-M-A, through your giving here. It'll go to comma services. It'll go to Puerto Rico. Or you can go to the Christian and Missionary Alliance site online and you'll be able to follow the directions there to make a gift for relief in Puerto Rico. But again, very low overhead, and you'll know that there's no possibility of uh, things ending up on the black market, things being sold for some unscrupulous person's profit. A lot of ugly things happen in times of human need. But uh, giving through our churches, and I don't believe any of our church buildings were destroyed, but many of our brothers and sisters in Christ there are suffering without electricity, basic services. So just take that into consideration if you're looking for a way to do something directly. Now this weekend, as a community of Jesus followers, we want to do three things. First of all, we want to thank God for another year of very effective ministry and generosity. Second, at the end of the service, we're going to be affirming some of our men and women in servant leadership roles for the coming year. And third, we want to commit ourselves once again to pursuing God's vision for this congregation. And as we do that, I want to share what I believe God spoke to my heart during my recent August sabbatical as I step away from day-to-day -day ministry and just seek the Lord's face. And to do that, I want to hitch a ride on an ancient story about a man who pursued the will of God and found it to be a very difficult and often confusing exercise. Our text comes from the New Testament book of Hebrews, 
the 11th chapter and the 8th verse. It says, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. I've entitled today's teaching, Stay the Course. Stay the Course. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, in these coming moments, we need to hear from you. Nobody needs to hear from me, but we all need to hear from you. And I pray that your spirit would enable me to be your voice in this place. And then, Lord, we all need your assistance in understanding what you're saying to us because you've not only called us as a congregation, you've called us as individuals. You have something to say to us corporately. You have something to say to each of us individually. Help us to hear both and help us to respond with faith and obedience. As always, we pray these things for the honor of Christ and in his great name. Amen and amen. And as we study God's word today, may the Lord be with you. The American novelist John Gardner said that history never looks like history when you're living through it. It looks confusing, it looks messy, and it always feels uncomfortable. And the same could be said about pursuing the will of God. Last weekend, we considered the vital connection between discerning God's will for our lives personally and seeking God's will for the advance of his kingdom around the world. And we noted that whatever God intends for us is also intended to impact other people. And we won't fully discern either until we seek both. And when we forget that reality, we'll struggle to discern God's leading and we'll struggle to pursue it. But even when we remember that reality, even when we seek God's leading for our life in light of what he's up to in the world, and even when we know we have clearly heard from God, following God's leading can be extremely confusing. In fact, it's almost always confusing. Unexpected obstacles can suddenly block our path. Unanticipated twists and turns can blow us off course or tempt us to think that we're off course. Undiscerned adversaries can suddenly come up against us. Unwelcomed delays can drain our patience and drain our confidence. Unplanned developments can distract us or discourage us. And some of the steps God orders for us on the surface will appear to look like they're going to jeopardize the very promise God gave us. Just ask Abraham. One day, as he was successfully minding his business and his family, God told him he was going to have expanded influence. That's not original with us. That started with Abraham. Quite literally, he was going to have expanded influence because God said, I'm going to use you to father a nation, and through that nation, 
all the nations of the earth will be blessed. I'm giving you a world-sized assignment. And with that, God instructed him to pack up, uproot his family, sell off his business, walk away from all of his neighborhood associations, start walking, and await further directions. And Abraham agreed to that. No wonder he's called the father of faith. But what followed appeared to contradict everything God had promised. Abraham soon learned that when we follow God, our circumstances will often appear to contradict our calling. Our circumstances will appear to contradict our calling. Let's look at all the ways that played out for Abraham. When God said, I'm going to make you the father of a great nation, his wife was barren, unable to conceive and bear children. That represents something of a problem. You've got to start a whole nation. When he first arrived in the land of Canaan, the land God had promised, it was occupied by powerful warring tribes who had no intent of leaving. Soon after that, a famine forced him and his family to take an unplanned sojourn into Egypt. And it wasn't a fun trip. Because while they were there, Pharaoh took a fancy to his wife Sarah, assuming she was his sister, and took her into his harem. And God had to rescue her by visiting Pharaoh's household with plagues. It was sort of a preview of things to come many years later. But Pharaoh was upset, and so Abraham and his family were unceremoniously deported, kicked out of Egypt. And with that, Abraham went right back to where he started. So, so much for phase one of the journey. After all of that, he's right back to where he started. Time had passed, and it appeared he hadn't gotten anywhere. So he called on the Lord. And you know what happens when you call on the Lord. Things get worse. (laughs) For a whole host of reasons, things often appear to get worse when we pray. And there are a whole host of reasons, and I'll save those for another teaching another day. But in Abraham's case, As his family began to grow, crowded conditions birthed labor unrest and family strife. So to settle both, his beloved nephew Lot moved to Vegas. Back then it was called Sodom. Not long thereafter, war broke out. Lot and his family were taken as prisoners of war, and Abraham had to go to war to liberate them. And in the aftermath, God repeated the promise of a son. But this time, Abraham said, could I have a sign that that's really got to happen? Who can blame him? At that point, I think you would want a sign as well. As things kept changing, one thing remained unchanged. Sarah had serious doubts about having a child at her advanced age. Truth be known, at her advanced age, she probably wasn't too keen on the idea. 
I mean, how many of you women would like to bear a child in your 80s? So she encouraged her husband to have intercourse with her young Egyptian handmaiden. And Abraham didn't pray about it. Tells you a lot, doesn't it? He just did it. And as he did, rather than waiting on God, he took matters into his own hands. And nine months later, this is no overstatement, the Middle East crisis that is still with us today was born. That's where it started, with one believer taking matters into his own hands. And not only was the Middle East crisis born, but Abraham would find himself with a whole truckload of unwelcomed drama and domestic strife. That was the day that the phrase, when mama ain't happy, nobody's happy, came into being. <laughs> then when Abraham was 99, God said, oh, one other thing. I want you, all the male members of your household, and all your male descendants to be circumcised at 99. Oh, happy day. And by this point, all of his hopes were in the son he had through the Egyptian handmaiden. That son was named Ishmael. All of his hopes for the future were in Ishmael. But God came along and said, I'm not hearing it and I'm not having it. That plan has been rejected. And Abraham pleaded with God and prayed to God. And God said, no, no, and what part of no didn't you understand? But again, God repeated the promise, and again, Sarah doubted. And then Vegas was destroyed. And as a part of all of that, Lot's family, family life became the stuff of a depressing miniseries. I think they called it Scandal or something like that. Death, incest, drunkenness, sexual degradation, and demonic pursuits. And that had to be painful for Abraham as a man of God to watch because that was his family. And, you know, when you got all hell breaking loose in family, it's hard to stay focused on God's bigger picture. But the promised son, he would be named Isaac, finally arrived. But his birth was followed by more confusion. After yet another embarrassing run-in, with a king who had an eye for his wife. I mean, Sarah was hot in her 80s. Abraham moved into a Philistine neighborhood. They were never friends of God's work or God's people. But what unfolded next made all of his previous confusion look like child's play because God instructed him to sacrifice his son, Isaac. And in that moment, it appeared like everything he had been waiting for was literally about to go up in smoke. Now, we have the hindsight of looking at that story, or we have the advantage, excuse me, of looking at that story in hindsight. We know the outcome. We know God never intended to have Isaac die, 
He was testing Abraham. And I want to remind you, God never will test you to find out what's in you. He already knows what's in you. He tests us so that we can find out what's in us. What in us is getting in the way of God's best in our life? That's what the tests of God are for. God knows the very thoughts of your heart. He doesn't need to test you. But you see, Abraham was living the story. He wasn't reading it. So when he laid his son on that altar and took out the knife, he thought he was about to enter unimaginable sorrow. But Isaac would live. We know that now. But Abraham's partner would not. Sarah passed. The woman who had walked this often confusing path with him, who sat right next to him on this emotional roller coaster, died without seeing the fulfillment of the promise. And that had to be very painful for Abraham. I'm sure he had often thought of the two of them together, celebrating God's answer, but she wouldn't see it. Eventually, he settled in the land. But there was a lot yet to be done, and that would be the task of a coming generation. So he prepared his sons as best he could and as far as they would allow. And then Abraham passed. And I like to think at that moment, for the first time in a long time, all the confusion was dispelled, and as he stood in the presence of God, everything became clear. Now, if you think about it, and I hope you do, the confusion that accompanies the pursuit of God's will is predictable. Predictable. I say that because there are very real spiritual forces at work that don't want God's people to be certain or confident. They want us to change course, take matters into our own hands, or abandon the journey altogether. Confusion is predictable because we always muddy the waters when God speaks. We muddy the waters with our fears, our insecurities, our limited perspective, our limited understanding, our chronic impatience, and our habit of taking matters into our own hands. Confusion is predictable because God doesn't force his will upon those who love him or even those who do not love him. And it's predictable because God is up to far more than we know. And that's why his plans often require more time than we anticipate. You see, there are things that have to fall into place before God's promise in your life can be fulfilled. And many of those things fall outside our understanding, and they often need to unfold in a very specific sequence. And we don't know that, but God does. So in light of that, we need to constantly remind ourselves when developments in our lives are confusing, they're only confusing to us. They're not confusing to God. They're only confusing to us. If I could paraphrase a well-known Old Testament verse, confusion may last for a night, but clarity comes in the morning. Now what does this have to do with my sabbatical God's leading for ACAC, everything. Some of the specifics of what God spoke to me are found at the end of the annual report that you receive where it talks about looking forward. And I'll not repeat those because I hate it when somebody gives me something in writing and then says it for me like I can't read. 
But what am I saying in light of my sabbatical? We know that when God called us to expanded influence, that we were hearing that from God. We didn't sit around drinking lattes and saying, ah, let's come up with something. No, we know expanded influence is God's vision for this church. And we know that the three C's we refer to, three of the nine, church planting, communications, and campus redesign are clearly a part of that vision. But as we've pursued those, like Abraham, we've encountered a fourth C, confusion. (laughs) We didn't put that in any documents, but we have encountered it. And some of you are aware of that. You've asked us questions like, what's going on? What's happening? And I want to remind you, I'm not in management. I'm only in sales. Confusion because things that at first appeared as answers to prayer subsequently disappeared and then reappeared and then disappeared and then reappeared. Things that initially looked promising lost their glitter over time, while things that looked bleak initially now look very promising. At times, like Abraham, we've journeyed only to find ourselves right back to where we started. Previously unknown adversaries have revealed themselves, people who would like to see this church gone from this neighborhood. But so have previously unexpected friends unbelievers who have said we want that church in our neighborhood because of what it does for the neighborhood. How often does that happen with churches in America? Our prayers have often been followed by increased confusion, and it's taken a lot longer than we anticipate. In Homestead alone, we've looked at 50 sites and still haven't heard the Lord say that's the spot. In the midst of this, as I sought the Lord, God kept repeating three words that he essentially kept repeating to Abraham. Stay the course. Here's what the Lord said to me, so I'm going to put it in the first person. Expanded influence is the right vision. It's my vision, and one day it will be reality. Your apparent setbacks will prove to be setups. Your apparent losses will prove to be gains. My delays aren't denials, they're necessary. I'm running right on schedule. Previously unknown enemies will be identified. Previously unanticipated friends will arise. I'll give you unusual and unexpected favor. Don't follow developments, follow my voice. That's good for any of us. Don't worry, don't despair. If I brought you to it, I'll bring you through it. And don't take matters into your own hands. Wait upon me. I birthed this church. I birthed the vision. I keep my promises. Your latter days will exceed your former days. I showed my love when I set the course. You show your faith by staying the course. And friends, that not only applies to communications and campus redesign and church planting, that applies to our mission of following Jesus in diverse communities. What God is doing here is needed more than ever. Things are really getting ugly in this nation. And the hatred along political, ethnic, 
and cultural lines is far worse than anything I've seen in my brief time upon this earth. And as I shared openly with you, some folks have left us because we didn't put the stamp of God's approval on their political persuasion. And we won't. Because we have three rules. Don't make an idol of politics. Don't politicize the Christian faith. You do that when you say, a Christian would vote. And don't demonize people who disagree with you. When it comes to our mission to model the diversity that only God can create, our plan is to stay the course. And if some people want to leave, God bless them. Let them leave. Because the only like I'm concerned about is not on Facebook. The only like I'm concerned about is at the judgment seat of Christ when I stand before my Messiah. Those who want a church that affirms their bigotry or their politics can certainly find it. But by God's grace, we will not be one of them. So God set the course for us. And in so doing, he showed his love. And now it's us, up to us, to stay the course. We're starting to see things break. But after all this, I'm reserving my celebration (laughs) until it's finally done. But I have no doubt it will be done because God always keeps his promises. Let's pray together. Father, We are thankful you've given us a purpose in life. We're not just here to make a little money, retire, die, leave it to our kids. You've invited us to be a part of the most significant undertaking in human history and to play vital roles in it. You've honored us. You've dignified our lives. You've given us significance. You've given us purpose. Father, As we pursue your will and encounter the inevitable confusion, help us to stay the course. Help us to look past the developments and just listen for your voice so that one day we can celebrate your faithfulness and be a more effective witness in a desperately broken world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.